Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for jumping back on and listening to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth. Today, I'm with my good friend, Dougie Stevens, and we're going to be talking about some theological topics and some other things uh, to stimulate the mind, so to speak. This is episode number 30. Thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast today. And welcome back to episode number 30 with my good friend, Dougie Stevens. Well, I said his name wrong. Dougie Stevens. Um, we are at his house. It is a little after 7 o'clock in the morning. Good morning, Dougie. What's up? My name is Dougie Stevens. <laughs> um, yeah. Make sure you can cut that easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's up? My name is Dougie Stevens. Um Um, So today, um, this is in the series um, about theology that I started, and I'm super excited to have Dougie on the podcast today, simply because I think he has a lot of interesting perspectives. I think he has some interesting thoughts um, about about theology just in general. Um, He's in school um, right now. Um, He will be going uh, on to get his master's degree soon and teaching in a college somewhere which I think is phenomenal um, he very takes he takes a very um, academic approach to scripture very academic approach to a lot of things and if you know me at all you know that I value that and so this morning to kick things off we're going to talk about interpreting the Bible through a first century Jewish mind. So, Dougie, you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, within my time in church, I've typically been taught that the, the Bible is uh, purely God's word for right now. In this moment of our lives, it can be used to uh, speak to today's moment. So think of people uh, reading Revelation in today's times. Specifically about the coronavirus and Donald Trump or Obama back then. But people trying to point to parallels and try to say that this stuff is for today rather than thinking that uh, it had very specific meanings during the first century. Um, I think given N.T. Wright's work and given people like Ed Sanders and, and a myriad of other people, uh, they've proven very well the historical Jesus and to read him in context of his historical time. Uh, but N.T. Wright does a really good job of not detaching that from today. Uh, the first century Jewish mindset will allow you to, to read scripture and understand actually what's going on in the story rather than thinking this is simply just a, uh, a personal text that's just written to me 
And it's just me and Jesus. This helps you in the world. It helps you in life. It also, if you read, if you read the Bible with a first century Jewish mind, it helps you come away with a with a fundamental like. It, it helps you come away with a fundamental direction, even I guess I would say, of all uh, hermeneutics. It's not just in hermeneutics. If you're listening, means to interpret the Bible. It's a way that you interpret the Bible. It comes away with this found. You come away with this foundation when you when you learn to interpret the New Testament and you read it through a first century Jewish lens. Then you understand that the foundation of reading all text is um, about the time it was written, what was going on in history during that time, uh, like actually in a history book, um, who was saying what to who. Um, and I think that's important to know when reading any text, so to speak. And so um, when reading the Bible in general, specifically the New Testament, if you're not in a first century Jewish mind, like Dougie said, you are going to pers- you are going to over personalize this, I think is a good way of putting it, to it meaning something specifically for you. And it and in reality, it can absolutely mean something for you. That's not what we're saying. But it wasn't written to you, right? It wasn't written for you. God can God can use the text to mold you, shape you, and do something in you um, through the text that you're reading. But it's very important that we do learn to interpret the Bible through a first century Jewish mind. And so, do you have anything else you want to talk about, just the first century Jewish mind in general? Sure, just a quick a, a quick bit for me would be if if you take the Bible uh, and you put it in today's times and treat it more devotionally, you miss the explosive message of mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. That's true. And because, it's like what N.C. Wright says, because it's a message about God and a message about a kingdom, it then becomes a message about you, not vice versa. So it's not primarily you. It's not you focused. It's not you central. It's world central in the sense of God's going to redeem the entire earth mm-hmm. and all of creation. Romans 8, you know, go read it if, if you're skeptical of this view. This is the this is the hope of Scripture is new creation. It's not that you go to heaven when you die. It's specifically new creation. Yeah. I think it's even cool. Like, I think, <clears throat> like, even when getting... So the first rule of Bible interpretation that I talked about in the last podcast was you interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture. And specifically, I would say you interpret, to take it a step further, you interpret an author's writing in light of their other writings. And so, for instance, Paul, who predominantly is the author in the New Testament, um, you, you, will read stu- you will read stuff like things being made new. And then you will read stuff like new creation. And then you will read stuff like, um, specifically the passage that I'm referring to is old things passing away and all things becoming new. And then you, you're taking the passage of scripture that um, that Dougie was referring to a second ago in Romans chapter 8. And you read that in light of one another. And, you, and then it, it, it's like this explosion of the message of the kingdom of God. And this explosion of the message of, of Jesus really just leaps off the page to you through Paul's message. And it's like that is the point of Bible interpretation 
period, right? It's a it's to take you into a deeper revelation of Jesus. And so the, the, just because it's a scholarly approach doesn't mean that we're taking the devotional side out of it. Um, I even love, I've been reading something uh, in, there's a, there's a book out there called Light from the East. It talks about Eastern um, Orthodoxy. And what I love about their view, Dougie is Dougie has been asking me for months now why I'm not an Orthodox Jew, I guess. Um, but not Jew. Yeah. Anyway. Greek Orthodox Christian. Yeah. Whatever. Or Anglican. Yeah. Or Anglican. Whatever. So the um, what I love about their view is is that scholarship is the foundation. Um, it's really the. It's not. It's not like a. It, it's not a like in America where it's like, oh, you're a scholar. It's like for them, scholarship is the foundation, but that's not what makes you. That's not what makes you a follower of Jesus. What makes you a follower of Jesus is when you handle the text in an intelligent way, but you still have that passionate devotional life to Jesus. I saw. I was reading something from Life from the East the other day, and he says nobody can. Nobody is a scholar who doesn't pray truly. Only scholars truly pray. And he wasn't saying, he wasn't meaning that you have to be a scholar to truly pray. He was saying, if you truly pray, you are becoming a scholar of the scripture. You're becoming a scholar of theology because you are engaging with the God of the universe. And so I love their their message, so to speak, it's the, it's that get formally educated, right? Try to get some formal education under your belt. Maybe you don't have access to that. Maybe you can't go to school, stuff like that. There are tons of things out there that you can, there are tons of authors and people that you can learn for who are formally educated. It's a lot cheaper. Uh, if you just want me to be honest with you, um, my favorite person to even listen to and read from obviously is N.T. Wright. There's a couple, there's a couple people that I, I really enjoy listening to, um, and, and learning from Tim Mackey on the Bible Project is absolutely phenomenal. If you, if you have, I mean, it, it, it's almost like Tim Mackey is, I would say, as far as his podcast and his teaching goes, you can get as shallow as you want or you can get as deep as you want. Mm-hmm. And it's like there is a broad, uh, there is a broad playing field when it comes to that. Um, so, first century Jewish mind interpreting the Bible, it's a must. Yeah. It's a must. I wouldn't recommend the Bible. I couldn't recommend the Bible Project enough. Uh, go on YouTube, look them up. They've got resources galore, and I think they get almost everything right. They are the only people that I trust for almost any topic. NT Wright, I trust for almost everything, not entirely everything, but uh, yeah, NT Wright's also very good. The I think even like going off of that. When you start reading the Bible like that, this is something that I wanted to get into on this podcast, and I think I've been waiting on the correct podcast to get into this, but it's the deconstruction, the modern deconstruction of fundamentalism, so to speak. Um, The fundamental mindset, the fundamental views um, of viewing scripture. And if you are a fundamentalist listening to this podcast, we don't hate you. We do not, we're not coming against you. Um, we, we are just, we feel like, and maybe we're just two dumb young people, uh, along with 
thousands and thousands of other people as well. We just feel like that we that that God has revealed something to us, um, not specifically like a like Mormon type thing where God showed me the Book of Mormon, uh, but we believe that um, when reading the Bible through a first century Jewish mind and when reading the Bible with appropriate hermeneutics, it is almost undeniable that it's almost like the veil comes off and you begin to see God in a new way and you begin to see the biblical text in a new way. So talk about the modern deconstruction of fundamentalism in our culture today. Yeah, uh, just to go backwards, I don't have problems with fundamentalists until specifically they make truth claims. So if you are a fundamentalist listening, listening, uh, please get your hands on some of the resources we talk about uh, because this is an entirely American way to read Scripture. Um, and I would view it as completely wrong, and I do come against it in any way whenever it's in scholarship. So we're, Cole is uh, a little bit less intense with it I'm a little bit more intense with it but I do I do think that I do think that you need to um, get away from reading the Bible in American through an American lens absolutely so uh, the modern deconstruction movement I have problems with it in many cases because people don't come out of it healthily I don't know if you've experienced other people coming out of this I know when I came out of it it was very hard other people don't have that experience but it was tough on my mind. Uh, it, I was always taught it was either you fully believe in everything Scripture says, whatever that means, uh, or you're an atheist and you're probably going to commit suicide. You yeah. know? And you're not going to be happy for the rest of your life. Um, once I realized that that's not entirely true, I met some atheists that are extremely happy with their lives and they could care less about God. I realized, okay, well, this doesn't have to be true. So, so what's really going on here? Uh, and then I, I found these people uh, that we talked about, N.T. Wright and the Bible Project. And they helped me see what scripture really is, and it really ripped the rug out from under me. And it's as though like life crumbled around me, and the only thing I had left was Jesus, and everything else had to go back in place over time. Yeah. Um, the problems that I have with the modern deconstruction movement is that people are not careful, and they are very easily, in some senses, led astray. So there are writers out there, specifically within America, of the Jesus Seminar that, that kind of really went off the deep end with some of their views and yeah. just fought fundamentalism tooth and nail and never wanted to go back. And they're not what I would call a safe theological place to go to. Go to. Yeah. Um, so if you are going through deconstruction, you're experiencing it, I always recommend people read the Psalms and, and read specifically the Gospels, but more, more so the Psalms because the Psalms give you a picture of what the specifically Southern Christian church doesn't, which is how to talk to God appropriately. Because you have these Jews that almost look up at God shaking yeah. their fists. Yeah. Wake up. You know, yeah. you're supposed to be doing this, not realizing they're the problem the whole time. Yeah. God doesn't have a problem with that. Yeah. Uh, I think the Psalms are one of the most helpful sections within Scripture for the deconstruction movement, as opposed to some of the writers out there. Or the uh, what I heard one person refer to as the Pete Holmes Trail, which I feel like a lot of Christians go down, and if you have went down that trail, I have as well. Uh, again, Pete Holmes is just an American approach to religion rather than specifically Christianity, where you cherry-pick things, and you like what you like, and you present it in a nice way, which is what he does. And he's funny, but uh, he's very problematic with his, his religious views. I think, it's, I think it's important that 
we like touch on a topic that or touch on like a statement that you said. Dougie basically said a second ago that everything crumbled around him theologically and through his, I guess, probably worldview a little bit. Um, and the, Jesus was the foundation that he built everything off of and everything kind of went back into place. To be honest with you, the tearing down of things is not a, the tearing down of anything really is not a, it's not like an easy process. Um, sometimes it looks a little different for other people. Dougie specifically used the language, the world crumbled around me. (laughs) My enlightenment was almost like one brick at a time fell off the house. And it was like, I just threw a brick off at a time. It's like, I really don't believe that anymore. So I don't believe that God is against like, for instance, when, when people say, well, God is against this specific topic. It's like, mm, that's debatable, right? Yeah. Because God is not God is not raging against um, anything as far as spe- very specific minute topics, right? He's raging against sin, but he's not raging against me enjoying a um, book that some people deem demonic and other people can get a revelation of Jesus through, right? I'm not saying which book that is. I'm saying that there are books out there that some people are like, if you read this, right, you're summoning demons. Well, that isn't true because I, what if I, what if I'm praying in tongues while reading this book? It's like, what if I, what if I am, what if I'm engaging with God while reading this book? It's like, uh, I, I, I guess I have to say the name of the book, but it's like, I mean, the Harry Potter books just in general a lot of people come viciously against those books, but they're the same people who are obsessed with Narnia, mm-hmm. and they're the same people who are obsessed with Lord of the Rings. And uh, you know, just just to let everybody know, I read an article one time that J.K. Rowling was a, a witch from Atlanta. She's not from Atlanta, <laughs> like she's not even remotely from that even part of the world. Probably a couple thousand miles from Atlanta, um, <laughs> on the other side of the the ocean, um, and she's a Christian. And so, obviously, I've read these books. Um, I've been able to get a strong revelation of Jesus, of ultimately love conquering evil, love conquering death. And uh, if you're against Harry Potter, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that is who you, that's what you've decided to be against for certain reasons. And I do not condemn you for being against that. I do condemn the mindset that you're against certain things and God has deemed certain things demonic for all people. And... Um, it really it comes down to Jesus being the foundation of everything that you do, and build it, letting the pieces fit in over time. I remember when I first heard that Harry Potter was demonic. I was a uh, I, I had just been saved for like a few days or something like that, and uh, somebody told me that, and I literally went and burned every DVD that I had. I literally went outside by the fire, burned every DVD that I had. That's a sixty dollars set, by the way, into a into a high school and cost it sixty dollars a lot of money. But I thought I was making this claim that God has, and, and it may have honestly, it may. It, I'm not saying that God didn't use that moment to like stoke the fires of devotion within me to say that I don't want any idols in my life. But honestly, what ends up happening is, is that I was not exposed to a very scholarly um, approach to Christianity at that point. 
And honestly, if I would have went off to a four-year university, I thank God that I ended up in the places that I ended up. If I would have went off to a four-year university and talked with a semi-educated professor, my faith would have crumbled uh, like like Dougie's um, that, that he that he talked about. I was fortunate enough to go to a, a community college with a lot of my peers, a lot of the same people that I was around in high school, and that was that was a cool thing for me to, to really instead of my theology and my thought processes crumbling and it being a violent, vicious thing, it was really just one brick at a time. And I, honestly, I credit that one of my mentors, Trey Myers, um, he probably will not listen to this podcast, but that's fine. But he really helped me out of a lot of fundamentalism and a lot of like just wrongs way of think, wrong way of thinking and um, like put me on a right path to really know God for myself. Yeah. Um, one Quick bit about the Harry Potter thing. Number one, I've uh, been through all the books numerous times. Uh, never once have I been overtaken by demons or anything like that. I think no book paints the resurrection and the the sorry the agony of the death of Jesus better than uh, the last book of Harry Potter. Yeah, where Harry is he all of a sudden comes to the realization that oh I have to die and this is what was supposed to happen the whole time. Yeah. And I'm going to face it head on. And right. I find that to be what more along the lines of the picture that we get with Jesus when he's reading mm-hmm. Isaiah. Because he starts off by, you know, reading Isaiah. This is what I'm called to do. This. But he has to finish the, the song. That's one big thing. Yeah. He has to finish that. And through that, he began, he begins to realize, oh, wait a second. Not mm-hmm. only am I called to unleash all this stuff, I'm called to do it by yeah. putting these two together. That N.T. Wright does a great job of showing Historically, nobody put the, the two servant songs together until Jesus. Yeah. There's two different servants, one that's going to die and one that's going to do everything. Yeah. Jesus mends them together and says, no, through my death, this is what's going to happen. And yeah. he comes to the realization when he dies and you, you get the, the, the great picture in the garden of Gethsemane where he, you know, if it's your will, let this cup pass from yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a, a moment where he realizes that I, I have to do this. I'm going yeah. to die. And I would even argue that he had no inkling of resurrection in the sense of full on. So there's yeah. this guy, Slavoj Zizek, that talks about, and I know we didn't do this in the notes, but I, I just want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, totally fine. So he talks about the atheism of Christianity. Uh, and he's quoting from somebody else. I don't know who the other guy is. I need to look at the source material. Nonetheless, Slavoj Zizek says Christianity is his favorite religion, although he's an atheist, because... Strictly because of the atheism of Jesus on the cross. So he says that just for a moment, God himself became an atheist. Because he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God himself on the cross dying, mm-hmm. thinking he himself had forsaken himself. So yeah. for a moment, he didn't even believe. Yeah, And that's a beautiful picture to me, to to know this this man like this. And, yeah. and me coming out of fundamentalism, the way I like to explain it whenever it was happening was... I used to put all my, all my reliance on a book. Mm-hmm. Now I put all my reliance on, I don't want to say a man, on the Son of God, on the, the picture Jesus yeah. made of the world, I guess. That's good. Rather than, you know, N.T. Wright says at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus doesn't say, all the power and authority I've given to the books you're going to write. Yeah. I've given it to you guys. Mm-hmm. This is to the people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would let me just do one more bit on the Harry Potter yeah. thing real quick. So there's a modern problem that I see that is... Uh, we're taught because of Romans, 
I think it's 14 where he talks about submitting to one another, submitting yeah. the strong man, submit to the weak man, don't yeah. do anything that leads to stumbling, all this stuff. And we are taught to, to embody that, but we always miss out this part that he says, and you weak men, he calls people that can't drink or whatever or eat meat weak men. And he says, and you weak men, don't talk about the strong man. Yeah. And so we miss out that part and we have all these weak men and women that are saying, you shouldn't be reading Harry Potter, you shouldn't be talking about it, you should just be doing all this stuff, keep it to yourself. They're, they're holding this up and essentially suppressing the strong men that are like, no, this is perfectly fine. Yeah. As though we're supposed to submit to them. I, as you said, condemn that. I will condemn that viewpoint. <laughs> I will not submit to a weak man trying to tell me to do all these things because this is not your problem. It's none of your business what I do. Yeah. Uh, if this affects you, don't read it. Yeah. But don't come at me because of it. Yeah. I'm not laying this out in front of you. I'm not forcing you to read the book. I'm not laying a stumbling block before you. I'm not going to try to keep get you in into some demonic presence. I'm literally reading a book for myself and saying, this is what's going on. So stop holding up like your weakness as though I'm supposed to submit to that. Yeah. You're also supposed to submit to the strength. Read yeah. the entire thing. Yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, it, again, that I that I say, if you if you have if you've said, Well, I, I'm not going to read those things, I'm not going to participate in those things, that's totally fine. Right. You just can't condemn people who do. It's the same thing with Honestly, it's the same thing with drinking alcohol in the South. And so um, I personally do not drink alcohol. I do. And that's totally okay, right? I personally do not drink alcohol. I have very personal reasons that I don't drink alcohol. It's not because um, it's a deep conviction of mine not to drink alcohol, but not because of the reasons that you probably think. It's not because because I think that... Um, I'm going to hell if I drink alcohol. That's not the reason why I don't drink alcohol. Um, and I, I'm not going to get into that because this is not about that part. This is not about that. But, um, you know, it's it's the same concept, right? And so I really enjoy a, I really enjoy the Harry Potter books. Um, I enjoy the movies because you said this to start with. When you start reading the Bible through a first century Jewish mind, what you there's a common theme that all things are redeemable for one and all things are going to be made new and when i was able to read the harry potter series and look at the book and look at the watch the movies and i was able to see the picture of jesus something honestly like it shifted in me theologically um i realized that jk rowling in fact was trying to paint a picture uh, she was trying to use Harry Potter as a metaphor, um, not she wasn't trying to tell some witchcraft story, right? People who were like, "Oh, well, the the curses in the books and the movies are actual spells." They're not. They're literally the words in Latin, right? They're not spells. Um, you know, there's a there's like a curse in the book. I think it's, but it's it's like I forgot the name of the curse, but it's literally just like an off word for abracadabra. Right, like it's it's not a it's the not a, yeah yeah that's it that's it yeah he yeah Dougie knows but when I when I've dived into the books and when I've watched the movies what I have gathered from those books and the movies is that all things are redeemable and so theologically that makes me I, it's not it's not I'm not saying that I read the Harry Potter books and then I go interpret the Bible. My my first century Jewish mindset in uh, in my approach to scripture, um, what little I do know. I'm not claiming that I know it all. I'm not claiming that I 
have a complete first century Jewish mind because I'm still American. I was born here. I still think see things through an American lens. But what I am saying is that when I when I'm able to see something as redeemable, really and truly that is the that is the nature of Christ. That's the nature of God in you. When you're able to see things as like, man, that could be spun as evil. It could be spun as demonic. But I see I see redemption in that. And it's like the movie in general and the books in general, I know we've got off on this topic, but they are telling a story of redemption. They're telling a story of love conquering evil to save the world. That's the story of Harry Potter. It's not evil little witch and wizards off at a school, right? It's the same thing with Narnia, right? And people who, what I think about, <laughs> I've got to say this now that I've done it, what I think about people who, who read Narnia is they don't even believe what C.S. Lewis believed. <laughs> like, they're, they're, if they knew what C.S. Lewis believed, they would think he's an absolute heretic and condemned to hell. And so, um, but so I think that's always a funny, like, I think it's a funny thing. It's the same people who hate David Bentley Hart, love C.S. Lewis, and they don't realize they don't realize what they're saying when they say that. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis was a much nicer version of David Bentley Hart, in my opinion. But anyways, on to the next. Uh, we're going to talk about how Trump is the savior of the world. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, even though that we both don't believe that Trump is the savior of the world, um, me and Dougie probably share very similar views to Donald Trump and in, in, in the way that he has, I guess, I, I don't know what you want to call it, right? Uh, I pray for him. I hope that he um, has an encounter with the Lord, but it just hasn't been good up to this point. Um, I think a lot of things that, um, I think what General Mattis says was probably one of the most, it was one of the most eye-opening statements for me because I've not been viciously opposed to Donald Trump. I've not just been in vicious opposition um, and I'm not in vicious opposition to many things other than things that are just blatantly wrong. Um, do I think Donald Trump has done good things for this country? Sure. Do I think that he's done horrific things for the culture of America? Yes. Um, General Mattis says that when, when someone like General Mattis comes out and speaks, especially for the people who are listening to this podcast um, who, are, who are conservative, this is not an attack on your belief system. This is not an attack on your conservative values. Um, Dougie will probably attack all of your values, but I will. Um, the but the cool thing I think about what General Mattis says is he says that Donald Trump has done more to divide this country than any president that he's ever lived and like like he's ever lived through. General Mattis is like. The dude is old, man. Like he he is an old man. Like he was a gen, like he he was in the Korean War. Like if I'm not mistaken, and so like he is old, old. Like he's eighty, maybe. Like I don't know his. Oh, you eighty year old listeners. Yeah, he's calling you. Out. Yeah, you're old. Like old. he may be eighty, right? He may not be eighty. I've got to look it up so that I can correct myself. But when someone says something like, um, when someone says like. You know, someone has done more to divide this country than bring it together. People should probably listen. Yeah. The I think it's a I think it's a it's a good it's a good thing to listen when someone of that leadership capacity says this person's doing more to divide this country than to bring it together. 
who previously was in the corner of Donald Trump. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I do not agree with Donald Trump on very much of anything. Um, not that I'm a political scientist in any in any right or anything like that. Side note, General Mattis is 70. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so all you 70-year-old listeners are out there. Cole's calling you out. You're yeah. old. Yeah. Uh, so I, of course, like what I did for the economy, wish it helped more of the working people, but I always wish that a lot of stuff doesn't help the working people. I know that there were many jobs created for minorities in America, and that's really awesome. Uh, I was very happy to hear that the numbers were up from unemployment with them before uh, before the, the virus hit. Um, quick side note, I know it, it's easy to, to go into Trump bashing and anything like that, but for those of you who maybe agree with us more, maybe think about how you reacted during the Mueller report and all of that stuff whenever the, the supposed Trump collusion was going on. Uh, with Russia, the the collusion with Russia that, that was going on. I, I pressed one of my friends on this, and he actually got extremely mad at me and got very uh, intolerant about it because mm-hmm. I just asked a simple question. I, I said, there's something that I'm not getting here. How is Donald Trump the biggest idiot that's ever walked the face of the planet, but somehow hoodwinked the FBI, the CIA, all of these groups, including yeah. the Senate and the House, into thinking he didn't do this mm-hmm. even though he really did mm-hmm. so that would make him the smartest man that's ever existed yeah. but somehow the biggest idiot that's yeah. ever existed so please fill the gap for me yeah 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 and of that's, course people don't like that question they always get mad yeah and it's a it's a, it's just an honest question right it's like how can someone who is clearly an intelligent man we're not saying that he's not he doesn't have any intellectual capacity that's not what we're saying I think his IQ test was like a 156 mm-hmm. like that's a pretty good score like we're not saying that he doesn't have intellectual capacity. I'm saying what he either is, he's either a couple things, right? And I, I'm not going to get into what a couple things he is, but he, he I'm going to leave that open for interpretation. Um, but we're not saying that he's a dumb person. We're not saying that he's incompetent. We're not saying any of that. We are simply saying he's probably done more to divide than he has to bring yes. together. And so that's... That sucks. So Lincoln. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dougie's about to get on it, son. But that's that sucks. Um, but I do pray for him. I do hope. Um, I do support some of the things that he supports. I'm not in full support of him. Just so you know, I am not a conservative or a liberal. Um, I am not either one of those. I hate the stereoty- I hate the stereotypes that come with those, and uh, also. You should probably take that as it pertains to racism and hate stereotypes as well, considering what's all going on in the world right now. Um, let's talk about the overemphasis of the individual in in the church. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I have a running thesis going on that may translate into either my master my master's thesis or maybe my PhD dissertation whenever I get that. That Luther did a long term dis- disservice to the church, <clears throat> and so a few points. Number one, his his anti-Semitic views were were some of the biggest parts to Hitler doing what he did. And I'm not blaming, of course, I'm not blaming Luther specifically, saying he's 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 responsible for this. But his ideas definitely are. It fueled the country to think that Jews are bad. Yeah, we need. He was even quoted as saying. We need to burn down their synagogues and their houses and take everything from them. You know, you should not do that yeah. as a Christian person. Of course, there were plenty of anti-Semitic people that, that we still uphold today, but they're not in my thesis, so I'm not talking about them. <laughs> uh, so 
Luther does that. He he begins to focus less on the, the structure of the church as the priest and the, the people, rightfully so. There was a lot of sketchy stuff going on back then. The priest reading in Latin and, and not allowing and translating quotes around that, translating the, the Latin into whatever they wanted to say so they could sell the indulgences, make more money, you know, the keep, quote, keep people out of purgatory, whatever. Um, there was a lot of sketchy stuff going on back then. I don't know how I would have approached it, but I think he long-term did a bad thing in focusing on translating the Bible to where everyone can read it and then going as, as far as to say, and Calvin jumped in on this and took it even further, as to say, you you yourself can, can read scripture. You don't need all of this stuff. Come, please come to a pastor, listen to the sermon, but you can interpret scripture on your own. Mm-hmm. You don't need the priest. You are the priest yeah. because of the, the work of Jesus. And in some sense, that's true, but in modern times, that's absolutely not. This is where fundamentalism comes from, is it? is an emphasis on I know what's going on. It's me and Jesus. First John two twenty. I have received the anointing of the Holy One. I know all things. So this means I can read scripture and know exactly what's going on. That's not the case and that's never been the case. So overemphasizing the individual has led to kind of the problems that I see today in, in the modern church. Yeah. It's it's a it's a huge problem, right? Like when when the most dangerous thing that I think that I hear, especially I just got. I just finished my degree last year from Regent University, and one of the things that helped me the most there was taking my individual like. It was almost like that. That's where a lot of my deconstructionism of fundamentalism come. Wow, my deconstruction of fundamentalism came in was that I was now introduced to more than what I could just gather myself, mm-hmm. and so. I think it's very, 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 very important. I cannot emphasize it enough that you have someone who is much smarter than you that you are learning from, even if it's from a distance, um, and not saying, well, I'm just going to interpret the Bible for myself and what it means. That is how you literally start cults. Like, if I can just be blatantly honest with you, it's how cults get started, right? It's like, I don't need anybody... And this is, this is a very popular one. I don't need anybody but the Holy Spirit to interpret the Bible for me. Mm-hmm. That is just blatantly not true, mm-hmm. right? That's not true. Um, unless you are in tune with God in a way um, more than Jesus was, um, because Jesus went to the synagogue. Um, Jesus, um, the Bible actually says that Jesus grew in stature and he grew in favor with God and favor with man. Um he also the Bible also talks about in Hebrews him growing intellectually. Um, there's a there's a little snippet of scripture that talks about Jesus growing intellectually. I think it's Hebrews chapter five. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but um, it, it was talking about him growing in prayer and him growing in all things. And so I think it's important to know that like the the overemphasis of the individual in church today has literally led to, it's led to what we would call embracing some fundamental, some fundamentalist ideas that are very just dangerous. Yeah. They're dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, Dougie wanted to hit on this for a second, but the overemphasis of the individual in the church means that it means something like this. Only one person's opinion is really valued. Only one, or, or what? What I mean by this is that the the highest opinion that is valued is your own, which is craziness, right? It's not how you learn. It's not how you'll ever learn anything. 
when you deem your opinion as the the one that's highest on the totem pole in the room, when it comes to something you don't know much about, it's you, you probably need to kind of take a back seat mm-hmm. and humble yourself and be willing to learn. Yeah, and I would say that the the emphasis on the, on the individual extends further than just the the people in the pews. And so this is where I've, I've talked to you about this before, mm-hmm. but uh, the overemphasis of the individual pastor or leader of a, yeah. a, a, a whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it a church or a movement or you know whatever label makes you comfortable with whatever God has quote called you to do. Um, so this extends to the individual. So I've made this point: if you read the Book of Acts, and I get it, I will always get this told the day that I die. Nobody embodies the Book of Acts entirely. You know, yeah. you get the Catholics that do apostolic succession. You get and, and Greek Orthodox do that in, in their own way, and then you get the the, the Calvinist Baptists that that adopt the elders or the Presbyterians. You know, they, they adopt the elders as, as their leaders, and then you get the the Pentecostals that really heavily focus on the the signs, wonders, and miracles side of it. Yeah. So everyone's doing their own thing to to claim that they are the real Christians. Mm-hmm. I get that. However, one of the biggest problems that I see is that we we always tend to focus on one individual making decisions. Whereas in the early books of book of Acts, actually throughout the entire book of Acts until they all get spread apart, the apostles are together. At least twelve of them. We know Barnabas and Saul were apostles, and there were mm-hmm. other apostles with them. But it always talks about the twelve being left in Jerusalem. So the 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 dispersion of the church in Acts chapter eight comes along. Saul of Tarsus comes. Mm-hmm. The church disperses. The twelve are left there. They're making decisions constantly through the book of Acts, and it's not one person. Peter yeah. doesn't just stand up and say, "This is what's going to happen. This is where we're going. This is my vision. I'm doing this. This is my desire. This is what I feel like God's called me to do. I will stand for this. Go after it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just do whatever I say." They're making decisions together with their Bibles open, looking in the Old Testament. Yeah. And I know this because of Acts chapter 15. Mm-hmm. So they think they're getting all this right, and then Saul of Tarsus becomes a Christian. He begins to preach to the Gentiles, and then he meets some some people that disagree with him that the Greeks and the Gentiles need to follow the Jewish law entirely. Yep. They need all these things to, to become Christians, to follow Jesus. So he says, no, this is wrong. We're going to actually go back to Jerusalem. We're going to fight this out. So he shows up there. They think they're getting all of this right. Twelve people, at least, getting all this right. Paul shows up, proves every single one of them wrong with Scripture, including James uh, and Peter. And then Peter's like, oh, wait, I, I had this actually with Cornelius. So yeah. he's right. This is my experience. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because he obviously didn't tell them that before that. Uh, sure. Most of them. So nonetheless, he comes here, and it, it proves to me this big point that these twelve people got it wrong for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were with the Holy Spirit. They were walking with Jesus. And if you would think that anyone would know anything about life and how to do this, they should know how yeah. to do this. Why did they get this so vastly wrong? And it's because people are learning as they go. Yeah. And so the overemphasis on the spiritual CEOs or gurus that are going on today uh, on their individual opinion is problematic to me. Because yeah. if these 12 people got it wrong, why is one person able to get it right all the time? Yeah. Not that they're claiming to get it right all the time, but a, a lot of them act like it. Any mm-hmm. decision they make, that's what's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. I find that deeply problemat- problematic and deeply American and deeply sure capitalistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At Tom Linden, if the, you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing is, um, like, when Dougie's talking about this, I want, to, I want to, like, flow out of this episode by saying this. What Dougie is simply saying is that what he finds problematic is the overemphasis of the individual making making 
decisions that affect more than just them. And I think that's very important to like think about. Your leadership, however your leadership is, whatever you're leading, right? Whatever you have influence over, whoever is going to be affected by a multitude of decisions being made, right? There's there's a multitude of decisions being made. Whoever's going to be affected by all of those decisions, what what really needs to be locked into your mind is is number one is that you need to have other people in the room, um, and you need to have other people talking with you who can bring every idea to the table, and you come out with just one beautiful idea together. Together, not you. Yeah, yeah, together, and it's like. That's one thing that I, like, I value that so deeply. I value the meeting of the minds, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not the meeting of, it's not the meeting of a mind with some minds. It's genuinely, we're all meeting together to come together and make the best decision for what direction this organization is going in. Mm-hmm. It's not, I feel like that this is the way that we're supposed to go. And we're, we're heading in this direction, and you can either get on the ship or you can get off the ship. What happens in that is literally people get left behind. And when people get left behind, it's just not okay, right? It doesn't matter what – it doesn't really matter what you feel called to at that point. It's, it's if you've lost your heart for people, something is wrong, right? Something, something is wrong. And I'm not saying – there are obviously people who do this, right? There are obviously people that – do this often. I'm not saying that these are bad people. Like you said earlier, literally the 12 disciples were making wrong decisions. Paul gets there, rebukes them all, and is like, you're doing this wrong, right? That's that's what I, that's honestly one of my favorite things about Paul is he just shows up rebuking people. He's like, this is wrong. This is a bad idea. You shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where, you know, in the church today, it's like, where is that? Honestly, where is it? You know, uh, one of the things that I deeply deeply honor about where I'm at currently is that in in the leadership meetings the floor is really open it's like hey say whatever you want like get it out now basically and that is a that's something that I think um, Hope Unlimited has experienced some growth we've experienced some really cool things that have happened and it's not been because our pastor is like by God we're going in this direction and you can either get on the ship or you can get off. And there's so, and also what I I do want to say this, there is an individual, there is an individual spin to everybody's perspective, but it's about taking all the perspectives and make it the best. And I think one of the things that I've learned even by, while being on the team at Hope Unlimited is that there's not an individual, there's an individual opinion that is like, we're saying that we respect each individual opinion. It's the closest thing that I've ever been to where it's like, just because Pastor Casey is the leader, right? He has all authority to make the decisions and it be final, but he doesn't, right? And I think that's a beautiful picture of leadership. I think it's a beautiful picture of what you're saying is like, we're not overvaluing, sorry, we're not we're not over, um, we're not saying that your opinion is always perfect, right? And and that's that's really what he's embodying. He's saying my opinion is not always the best opinion. And I love what I love so we were talking we, we were doing a pre-show 
um, before we started the podcast. And you mentioned, this is just funny that you mentioned his name. Andy Stanley says this. He says, I don't have to be, I don't have to be the best, I don't have to have the best ideas. I don't have to be the best leader in the room. I don't have to be any of those things. I just have to be in the room with the best ideas and the best leaders and those people so that we can come together to get stuff done. And so I think it's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful picture of what the church really could be when when it's really more of an idea of collaborative leadership. It's not, and, and I think, um, like for instance, when you're talking about people who just nail in on a topic, what I think is so beautiful, and I think even one time at the ramp, Pastor Micah preached a, preached a message on the seven churches of Asia, mm-hmm. how they had different expressions, how they were they were different, but they were all going after the same mission. And it's like, I think that's a beautiful picture as well of what I'm talking about is that, or what Dougie mentioned and what I'm talking about now is that even though it's a different expression, it's valuable. If overemphasized, it can be dangerous. It's valuable, but at the same time, when you bring it together with all the other expressions, it can be a very, very beautiful picture. So, for instance, in some of the meetings that I've been in, the things that I bring to the table are very vision-oriented. There's another There's another person that's in some of our meetings that, are, that is very practical. How do we get this done oriented? You need all of it. You need all of it. You don't just need one person saying, this is the way, go, right? That that sucks, right? Nobody wants to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, one more. For those of you who didn't see that, I just wish we were going to say yeah. one more thing. Yeah. I wasn't sure yeah. if you were trying to wrap up or not. Uh, anyways, just uh, one more bit for me on the same topic would be, number one, one thing that, that Cole said that I somewhat disagree with. Uh, this is healthy. It's okay. It's yes. okay to disagree. Yes. Uh, is the part where he said that Pastor Casey had the authority to make the decision. That's precisely my point. I don't believe he does. Mm. That is treating him as a CEO. I got you. Um, I believe the authority is within the, the group that is going ah. together. So that, that's that's my big that's my big thing. And then to come alongside that. One second. One, one second, people. We're we're just in the middle of letting dogs in and things of that nature, and the podcast. So it's it's totally okay. This is candid. So, uh, just a scripture to kind of help with this. Uh, something to think about, mull over, and, and you could completely disagree with me. That's perfectly fine. But uh, my running thing right now is James three, and so James says, "Let not let not many of you become teachers, uh, for you know that we will stand a harsher judgment." Uh, and through this, he's talking about gaining wisdom. You know, we preach this as though like this double-minded man isn't going to get any more money. He's not going to get all this stuff. He's not going to be blessed. And I believe in blessing, but that's not James. James is specifically talking about wisdom. You can mm-hmm. you can read it. So it says, let, "Let not many of you become teachers." Um, but the emphasis that we put on the people, like the the preachers put on the people, is always leadership. So uh-huh. you need to read more books. You need to read more John Maxwell. You need to read more Andy Stanley. And we're constantly putting a weight on them that I find to be maybe problematic because mm-hmm. James is saying, let that many of you become teachers, but we're showing all these people, you absolutely need to become a teacher. You need yeah. to become a small group leader. No, no, you, you probably don't. A lot of yeah. people probably don't need to do that. Yeah, uh, You need to just live your life like the rest of the church did. That's okay. It's okay to not find your calling and your, your whatever, your passion in the church. If you want to go be a, a high school teacher, go be a high school teacher. If you want to be an economist in this 
crazy capitalistic consumer culture, do it. Do do your thing and do it well. Yeah. That's what the church was about. It was not about becoming a better entrepreneur, which is what we kind of preach today. And this is more a critique along the the modern Baptists and the, the Pentecostals. Because this is definitely overemphasized that you need to make more money. You need to become a better leader. Yeah. The, and also what you have to understand is, is that he's not talking about He's not talking about when churches are saying, go do what you genuinely want to do in this life and be great at it. He's not saying that you shouldn't mentor other people to be great at what you are currently doing. He's not saying that if you're a teacher and that there are students who want to learn how to become a teacher like you, that you shouldn't help them come along the path. He's not saying that if you have small group leaders in the church and you have people who genuinely want to be a small group leader, he's not saying that you shouldn't pastor them and teach them how to do that. He's saying that you should not try to force people into doing things they genuinely don't feel like that they should do. And that is that is precisely such a great point, right? It's such a great point, especially when you are, how do I say it? It's, it's such a great point when you are leading people and you want to find the things that people are truly passionate about it's like my goal as a leader is not to find it's not to make everybody a small group leader. It's if someone wants to be a small group leader, then I empower them to be a small group leader. It's if someone wants to be a doctor, then I figure out how to empower them to be a doctor. It's not it's not that it's not that he's saying that those things are inherently bad. It's not saying that you shouldn't go and read John Maxwell if you want to be a leader. You should for sure read John Maxwell if you want to grow in your leadership. Yeah. But if you don't want to, if you want to grow in being a a financial planner, go read things about finance, right? And go read John Maxwell too because I love John Maxwell. <laughs> but um, you know, you shouldn't. You should not. I think one of the things that even this is a John Maxwell principle is that you should focus on 90% of the things that you're good at and 10% of the things that you're bad at. And what he's trying to simply say is, is that you're not made to do everything. Mm -hmm. Like you're literally like, you don't have to do everything. You just go be good at what you're good at. And that is how, that is how the church is most effective for one Mm -hmm. is when people are genuinely doing what they're good at. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not that everyone is becoming it's not that everybody is being cloned into something that we would like them to be. And it's not, I don't know any, I, I personally have never sat down with church leaders and been like, well, if you just become exactly like I want you to be, and, and sometimes it can come off as this, if you just become exactly like I want you to be, everything will be fine, right? That obviously um, is not, I've never met with someone who's like, this is the intention of my heart to make them exactly like me. It obviously happens because... Um, you go and you approach. You look at thing. You look at certain things that are happening in life, and you look at certain people in your field. And once you, once you see those certain people in your field, and you think that they do it the best way, you obviously try to mimic them and become like them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the the show today. I appreciate the talk about leadership and um, the overemphasis of the individual. The first century Jewish mind, modern deconstruction, Harry Potter, how Trump is the savior of the world, leadership in church, things of that nature. I appreciate you weighing in on those topics. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yep. Hey, thanks everyone for jumping on and listening to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth. If you don't mind, share this on your social media. And again, thanks for listening. Hope you have a great day.